Are you interested in making your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You guys can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And in fact, I'm using Anchor and I love it. If you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Welcome to the Busy Mom Podcast. Today is Monday, July 16th. This is episode number 635. Moment of silence. Holy moly. All right. I feel better now. I am in my brand new studio at the Firmly Planted Homeschool Resource Center. If you have not checked us out online yet, I hope you will do it. You guys are going to be super excited to see what God is doing here. And in the meantime, I'm going to shoot a dose of encouragement your way. I'm going to be answering a couple of questions today. One of them comes from Tony in Kansas City. We're going to be talking a little bit about kind of a theology of music and worship in the church. And the next one comes from a friend named Amy, and she wants to know what God says about alcohol. So if these are questions that you've wondered about, stick around. God has an answer for you, and I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, so I'm excited because I love Mailbox Monday. I love the questions that you guys send to me. Keep them coming. If you've got a question that you would like addressed over the podcast, shoot me an email, podcast at thebusymom.com. Most of you have known me now for quite a while, and you know that I don't really like to shy away from uh, from anything because we're all dealing with things. Uh, well, that's not true. There are some things that you guys have sent me that I had said, no, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> So in the interest of full disclosure, there have been a couple things that have been sent to me that I have chosen not to uh, talk about on the podcast. But for the most part, I think it's really important for us just to talk about life and the things that we deal with in our everyday lives. And so this particular question uh, came to me and it was a a gal who's asking Amy, asking about um, alcohol. And you know what? Here's the thing. So I, I want you guys to understand, because I'm, I'm going to address this topic, but this is, before I address it, I want to say that this is an area of personal freedom, all right? And I'm, I'm going to try to make a, a biblical case for it, uh, but this is not something that people should be fighting about. It's not something that should, um, I mean, I've seen people leave churches over this issue, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, to me, that's just the enemy. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, a little context. You guys know I'm all about context right now. And so this this question comes from Amy. She said, Heidi, I would love to hear a topic discussing teaching children a healthy perspective on alcohol. I was raised in a Pentecostal church and told that it was wrong. We were taught alcohol in the Bible was not fermented. As an adult studying scripture, I have found that difficult to prove. I'm fine with people drinking wine, but for some reason, an open bar with vodka and whiskey, et cetera, still seems wrong. All right, so this is a really interesting question because the, let's address the biblical uh, the biblical uh, piece of it first. First of all, um, there's there are lots of reasons not to drink, but uh, calling alcohol a sin isn't one of them. The Bible says that wine is a mocker. Why? Because it turns you into a mocker when you become intoxicated, right? Uh, that's straight out of Proverbs, Proverbs 20, verse one. The Bible also says, woe to him who gives a drink to his neighbor, pressing him into your bottle, even to make him drunk. Again, the theme is don't get drunk, right? But the Bible doesn't say 
that drinking a glass of wine or beer or a cocktail with your dinner is a sin. Drunkenness is the sin, and it is forbidden in the Bible, but having a drink may not be wrong. So then the question is, is drinking alcohol wrong? I have lots of friends that that vary, uh, that come at this from different perspectives. I have some friends who are teetotalers, meaning they don't touch alcohol at all. They have alcoholism in their family. Um, I have friends who don't drink because they think it could cause someone else to stumble. And so I'm going to address that for just a minute. But first of all, um, I'll give you sort of my own personal uh, theology where it comes to alcohol and how we have approached this with our children. Uh, we drink in our home. And part of the reason why, and I grew, I grew up, I grew up in a home where um, alcohol was absolutely forbidden. And I think part of the reason why Jay and I decided that we would allow alcohol into our home was because we want to teach our children self-control. Uh, the Bible does not forbid alcohol. It forbids drunkenness. So the Apostle Paul established a rule of conduct, which I think is good. He said he wouldn't uh, eat meat or drink wine or do anything else which would cause a weaker brother to stumble. So really, the Apostle Paul is putting this back on us. So we know that it isn't a sin. So then the question is, are you going to do it around somebody that's it's going to cause them to stumble? That's why you're not going to see me posting uh, Instagram pictures of me having a glass of wine. Uh, first of all, I think people can take it out of context. A, they're not, and B, they're not around to see me. Uh, with a glass of wine. So they could go, well, there she is, she's drinking. And for all we know, she's had five glasses of wine, right? So uh, I think we need to be very, very careful because we live in a country where there are at least 20 million problem drinkers and millions of people who use alcohol to excess. And so I think that we need to be very careful and not say, you know, I can drink alcoholic beverages because the Bible doesn't say not to. I think our conduct needs to be governed by love. So we want we want to be careful. Uh, but in our home, we have allowed alcohol. We have not told our children that it was wrong, obviously, to drink alcohol, but we have told them that drunkenness is wrong. There's a lot of reasons uh, for uh, for not drinking, all right? And liquor destroys uh, blood vessels and brain cells. Hello? I mean, long-term consumption of alcoholic uh, beverages, uh, it can cause cirrhosis of the liver. It leads to uh, all kinds of problems. And it makes you can become an alcoholic, which, hello? No, uh, that's not good. But I I appreciated this question in particular because as a pastor's wife, this came up a lot in church. And I found an article by a woman named Rachel Marie Stone, and I'll link back to it in the show notes today. It's called, What Does the Bible Say About Alcohol? The Complicated History of American Christianity, the Fruit of the Vine. Uh, listen to how she starts this because I have been in this situation. Uh, Jesus couldn't have made wine at the wedding at Cana, the old man was adamant. He couldn't have made wine because making wine would be a sin. Jesus never sinned. He turned and walked out of the church, Bible under his arm, without giving my dad, the pastor, a chance to reply. It's a perfect example of circular reasoning or assuming the, pre the premise. Making wine is sinful. Jesus couldn't have sinned. Therefore, Jesus could not have made wine. My dad had been trying to explain that the Greek word for the stuff Jesus made in John 2 was the same as the word for the stuff Paul tells the church not to get drunk on in Ephesians 5, verse 18, and it was all a bit much for the man to take in. His concern, if not his logic, was reasonable. If you've been raised to regard wine as inherently sinful, the Bible can be disturbing reading. Jesus makes wine and serves wine. He says wine is the new covenant. In his very blood, the psalmist praises wine as that which gladdens a person's heart in Psalm 104. And the teacher urges the reader to drink wine with gladness, insisting in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 7 that God approves. 
No small measure of ink has been spilled in an attempt to blot out the Bible's embarrassing uh, storyline on temperance, but it is one that has to be written and written and written again. We want to be very careful because these writings generally go to great and tedious lengths to demonstrate that wherever the Bible reads wine, we are to understand that it meant grape juice or even bizarrely, I've heard raisin paste, which sounds more like a cookie filling or a laxative than a beverage, or else to argue that when the Bible mentions wine, it is referring to something so diluted as to be essentially not intoxicating. These arguments don't hold up to any amount of reasoning. What sense would there be in admonishing someone not to get drunk on raisin paste or grape juice or some other grape-related but mostly non-alcoholic beverage? You wouldn't put a label advising the consumer that alcohol can be hazardous to one's health on a container of chocolate milk. So yes, alcohol can be hazardous to one's health, but generally that's not an issue when it comes up over a tall glass of chocolate milk. Biblical warnings about wine simply underline the fact that what we're talking about is in fact wine. So this is, an, this is an argument that my husband and I have heard over many years in our 30 years of ministry, and I think that the writer of this article is absolutely right. There is no case to be made. When Jesus talks about turning the water into wine, I believe it was the, the, the real deal. Uh, I believe it was a fermented drink. And uh, so over and over in the Bible, I mean, all you got to do is study God's word. And to me, this is one of those issues where, I, like I said, again, an area of personal freedom if the Holy Spirit says to you, not for you, you better listen. You better listen because God wants to speak to you. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because it leads to debauchery. In other words, it leads to sin. Instead, he said, be filled with the Spirit. All right. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Again, there's uh, Solomon in Proverbs just saying, hey, Don't let it suck you in. We want to be careful. Romans 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. He links drunkenness with sexual immorality and debauchery. So God's saying, don't do that. Uh, Don't do that. So we want to be careful in the way that we approach the topic of alcohol, careful not uh, not to harshly criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ who have the freedom, have been given the freedom to drink alcohol. And uh, I think we want to be even more careful for those of you who have been given the freedom uh, that we don't abuse it. All right. So the Apostle Paul said also in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 23 to 24, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And so I think this is really what what it comes down to. It's that you've been free. You've been made free. But we want to keep God's heart always at the center of whatever it is that we do. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 to 23 because I think it really sums this up well and I hope Amy that it helps uh, answer your question. So the bottom line, at least from what I can see, according to the Bible, A, the alcohol that God uh, refers to, Jesus refers to in the Bible is definitely fermented drink. It's definitely alcohol. So we know it is not a sin to drink it. We know it is a sin to be drunk. And we also know that we need to keep in mind the preciousness of other people. So here's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am not myself under the law, 
so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So really, this is what we want to keep in mind. Uh, We keep in mind who's watching us. We want to set a good example for our children. We want to teach our children that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And then we want to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our own life. So I hope that helps answer your question. The next uh, question comes from a gal in Kansas City. So hey, Tony, uh, this is for you. I'm actually going to have Jay come on and talk about this with me today because he's got such a great perspective on it, having been a worship leader. She said, hey, Heidi, I thought this question would be super fun to ask y'all. Even though music isn't in the forefront of your ministry, I know y'all are experienced and passionate about praising God with song. And actually, I don't know if you uh, know this, Tony, but my kids are all on the worship team at our church, and I just Instagrammed them the other day. Uh, Spencer was on the drums. Summer was playing keys for the first time. My daughter, Savannah was on bass. Our daughter, Sierra, plays the keyboard. Uh, my husband, of course, is a was a worship pastor for many, many years and has played guitar his whole life. And so we are all about the music over here. And so in some ways, it is kind of at the forefront of our ministry because whenever we do the MomStrong Conference, worship is a huge part of it. And usually our family will come and lead the worship. So uh, she goes on to say, I would love to hear your thoughts on the purpose, function, and biblical justification for praise and worship teams within the body of Christ. So I thought this would be fun to just bring Jay onto the podcast with me today because he's got more experience uh, with this than I do. Maybe we can just banter about it for just a second and hopefully bring you some encouragement. So, hey, hey, baby. Hey, good to be here. So when uh, if you're talking to Tony and you guys are standing in the foyer of the church and someone asks you a loaded question like, why in the world do you have a praise team at your church? What's your first uh, what's your first response? Well, my first response is that worship is a, a very important part of our life and individually, personally, it's what we're, you know, worshiping the Lord is something that we're to be doing with every part of our life. Music is a tool that God's given us so that we can do that together. It's hard to, you know, ba- do basket weaving or something together as worship to God, which we could do, but it would just be more difficult. God's given us music that actually proclaims truth, proclaims adoration and worship to God. Mm-hmm. Um, collectively together. So that right there just, um, you know, kind of sums up the importance of what what we call, you know, Sunday morning worship or church worship. But the, the other part of it is the question is, why do we need worship leaders or worship teams? And I guess you really don't. Um, there's worship can be done. However, I guess the problem um, that begins to arise is if you don't have anyone leading anything, well, then you really don't have any direction and you sort of have chaos. Um, you could have chaos, I guess. And so that's, especially in a larger um, congregation or um, with different styles of music or things that people might not be familiar with. Music's an interesting animal because we do have in our, at least in the United States, we have so many different cultures represented here, so many different preferences of music. It gets very difficult to try to cover every style of music that people enjoy or that they want to do in church. And Again, I, I I kind of feel like we often get off on that or we get distracted by the styles of worship when really we should be wor- focusing on the Lord and not caring so much about the style. But um, but nonetheless, um, style, you know, 
obviously we want to hear things that we at least understand and can relate to. And you want to keep the focus really on the Lord. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of, you know, kind of complain about or they, you know, they sort of uh, buff against is this idea that praise teams are there to bring glory to themselves. And it kind of turns into a concert. And pretty soon you people out in the congregation aren't really singing anymore. They're just watching the people on the stage. And we get we've kind of heard that a lot. So you got to be careful. I mean, we're there to worship the Lord, right? That's we're right. not we're not there to worship ourselves or to show how awesome we are. We're there to make a joyful noise. And I, I, you know, sometimes I hear more noise than others. Right. And I, yeah. <laughs> I, the teams really, I think, are there to help. And the leader is there to help give direction and help people who might not be as musically inclined or whatever, um, be able to have some direction. That is what I think the bottom line, that's where I was trying to go with that style thing. But if you look all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, um, the Levites, there were Levites who were musicians or leaders and would lead the congregations. Um, a lot of times there would be after a battle or, you know, um, something monumental happened like the um, dedication of the temple or something. Um, there's examples of leaders, usually Levites, but sometimes others who are leading everyone in uh, singing, dancing, um, instruments. Um, you know, I mean, the instruments are all through the Bible as well. Um, well, that's like fact, first Corinthians or Chronicles when David appoints people to be on his worship team. You could right. say he, cause he was kind of the first dude that did that. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and instruments are even in, you know, we, we see glimpses of heaven and heaven in revelation, for example, of, you know, the angels and everyone hosts proclaiming and worshiping and singing to God. And there's even examples or, um, glimpses of, um, harps and cherubim and things that are using uh, musical instruments. So music is a big part of, of spiritual life, both here on earth, I think, and in heaven. So it's a powerful thing. And I think that it's appropriate that we have leaders direct directed and help make it better, I think, mm -hmm. or at least so that people understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and where we're going with it. But do they have to be there? No, I don't, there's no mandate in the Bible that says thou shalt have a worship leader lead you. And, you know, I know that churches kind of get bent this way or that way about having to pay or hire somebody to do it. And I don't know. I mean, I just think you fall, like many other areas of spiritual life, you follow the Lord and ask God what he'd have you do. And then. And don't um, argue about it. I mean, I just think, yeah. you know, this is one of those things where we're often like, really, we got to fight about this. You know? <laughs> you know, So I think it's important. You know, I, and it, it kind of, it, it kind of brings us back to why are we doing this thing in the first place? We're doing it because we want to give praise back to the Lord, right? The Bible says that if we won't do it, even the rocks will cry out. So uh, we want to do it. And we enjoy doing it. So let's yeah, keep doing we, it. Yeah, let's keep doing it. <laughs> All right, you guys, keep those questions coming. Thank you, baby. You're welcome. Uh, I love it when Jay comes on the podcast with me. If you guys have questions that you would like addressed here at Mailbox Monday, shoot us an email, podcast at thebusymom.com. This is a great time for you to get involved over at Mom Strong International. We're getting ready to do the launch team. And uh, if you haven't, if you haven't pre-ordered Prayers of the Battlefield, or if you haven't, oh, for goodness sake, if you haven't left a review yet for uh, Becoming Mom Strong or the Becoming Mom Strong Bible Study, we would so appreciate it if you would do that. Same thing is, uh, same thing with leaving a review for this podcast. It helps to kind of get the the word out to people that we're here, and it encourages more people to listen and hopefully get to know the Word of God better and be encouraged in uh, in their walk with God. So we love you guys. We're praying for you as always. Um, I hope that you guys are encouraged by what God is doing in your lives. And we hope that you will walk, continually walk 
in right relationship with the Lord. Not that you do everything perfectly, but that you you come back to the Father all the time. Father, show me what I can do to live my life in a way that pleases you. That's really what it's all about. And that's what it's about here over at the Heidi St. John podcast. So we appreciate you guys listening and uh, we'll see you back here on Wednesday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.